Hello and welcome to the Animation Essay Podcast. For those of us who are not in Annecy this week, here's a little something to take the edge off the FOMO. In this month's episode, we chat to Aaron Warner, the highly accomplished producer of many titles, including the original Shrek movies. Aaron talked to us about his latest feature, Sony's Wish Dragon, what it's really like to work with China, and why South Africa got him excited about breaking the mold. Oh, and if that resonant bass voice sounds familiar, it might be because Aaron played the wolf in the Shrek movies. I know, pretty cool. You started sort of in a traditional production assistant role and then you became more and more creative as you went. Yeah, I mean, the, the creative side was, wasn't really allowed to come out until I got into animation. And mm. it, was, it was honestly more about necessity than, than, uh, than anyone inviting me. I would just be in these meetings and start slowly kind of speaking up mm. and realizing that that was something that was needed and and I that being your insights not my insights but somebody to guide and corral and and then then I got the chance to start adding you know my thoughts and feelings and ideas and jokes and to, to the whole to the whole thing and and I loved it I loved it it's so much more fun than really the being a numbers cruncher you know obviously but but I'm glad that I know both because I know production, I know physical production pretty well, and I can help guide the creative to fit without destroying. Usually, sometimes that's not the case. You know, having the live action background, um, this is something I said earlier, I think, I think not coming from uh, animation, not having been raised with it as a kid even, I didn't, I think that fresh perspective started as a disadvantage and turned into an advantage because mm -hmm. I just thought, well, I don't know what I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just gonna make it up. And then I'd make up new ways and new yeah. new approaches and it kind of it worked pretty well. So Ants was your first animated outing. Right? Yeah. And was it more like the project coming to you as in like you wouldn't have you, you wouldn't have picked animation for yourself? Yeah. Right. And it, it was just one of those random phone calls that I got from Sandy Ravens, who was head of production at DreamWorks, someone I knew she I'd known from the live action world, and um, and it sounded really interesting. I read the script, which was a great script, by the way, mm -hmm. um, that the Whites Brothers wrote, um, and and then went. I think my first week at PDI in Northern California, I went to SIGGRAPH in New Orleans. And I didn't know what SIGGRAPH was. I had never heard of it. And I went to these meetings, these big, you know, presentations of software and methodology that I, I didn't even, I, I was clueless, clueless and overwhelmed. Did, completely. You, did you find you had a, an affinity for it? Or? I think one of the reasons Sandy thought I might be a good choice was because I had worked on a lot of VFX films up to that point. And CG was, you know, become bigger and bigger pieces of, of those movies. So I think I did have an affinity for it, for sure. But I didn't know anything about the animation side. I remember Ants was kind of an interesting moment because they were going for this satirical tone and um, definitely looking for that adult audience. Um, but then it came out at the same time as A Bug's Life, which took like this much more kind of innocence, right. child-centered approach to the same story. Right. And we came out, I, I think, uh, yeah. six months or so before, eight months before mm. Bug's Life, yeah. Um, and then you, you guys did Shrek, which I think was like the perfect sort of marriage of like catering for both audiences and turning it into something that, that could cross over. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Um, you know, I, I, I just, like I have said many, many times about Shrek, so much of it was an accident. You know, um, an accident of the right people in the right place in the right time, right time in their careers. Storyboard artists who have, have wanted to break out of the mold of very traditional animation uh, style and, and storytelling style and do new, weird, funny stuff. And we found kind of a, a template that allowed for a lot of freedom. And that story is a very complicated story in some ways if you really sit down and think about it. And the, a lot, the template being the, the, the script? The, or just the, the template being the character, really, in the okay. world that we created. And, um, and you know, and just sort of taking the piss out of fairy tales. And, yeah. um, and you know, Andrew Adamson is the director of the film. He very smart man, and he really understood story and understood how important it was to have the heart and soul of it work in all the right places. And without that, it would have been, you know, a bunch of jokes. And yeah. the fact that it touched so many people, you know, came a lot from from how the film was structured and put together and from the heart and soul of all the people working on it. I like what you were saying today about how Shrek is kind of the animator in each of us because oh, yeah. they like that slight misfit but kind of proud of it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Proud proud sort of misanthropes in our own little swamps wanting everybody to get out but also really loving being around people and laughing. So it, it really was a good... It, we didn't, you know, none of that was conscious. We just saw, started to see ourselves more and more in, in, in the stories. Well, that's, I guess that's when magic happens, though, because it's personal, as you've been saying as well. Make it personal and specific. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. I remember it was so fresh at the time because it, was, it wasn't that long since Disney had had their big comeback with, you know, the, the newer 2D pictures at the time. Right. Um, and then this came along with, and I remember the opening with the storybook saying, Once Upon a Time. <laughs> And then, what a load of bollocks, yeah. whatever it is. And then Fred Durst started singing. And I remember my friend sitting next to me went like, oh, yes. Oh, that's <laughs> this great. Is just, it's like one of those moments, a bit like Spider-Verse, where you're like, oh, this is where things are going. Like now, right. now that you see it, you can see that it was inevitable. But it takes someone to do that, you know? I, honestly, I think that we, we figured out the tone of the movie from that opening sequence. Because that said everything it needed to say. And, and from there, it just kind of took off. It was a real, a massive struggle up to that point. And um, Mike Myers and the Scottish accent being involved, did that also help you get it, the ball rolling? It, it, it did. Was I mean, it, later? well, you know, he actually... He came up with the idea, I, rem I seem to remember. Well, yeah, I mean, well, look, it was an accent he did, and, and, and he was comfortable in that persona, and we were doing it without the accent for quite a while. And because I don't, I, I'm not sure, I don't even remember why, but I think it was like, oh, no one's going to get Scottish, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then, it's so hard to imagine without it now. I know, yeah. I know. And Sp then Spielberg came and watched a, a work in progress oh, really? screening and said, why is he not doing the Scottish accent? Oh, so it was Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that was, it was pretty hilarious, except the fact that we animated about 15% of the movie, but, you know, it wasn't... Just the lip sync had to change. It was lip sync, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but a, a great, it, you know, again, that movie was magical in its, in, in the moments that, like that, that happened, that made it what it was. And, you know, for one person to, even come close to taking credit for any of any of the success of that film is is ridiculous. It was a 
like all animation, the most collaborative art form in the mm. world. And how, how do you feel about the reboot? <laughs> uh, no comment. I don't, okay. know. I don't know. I don't know what they're trying. To, I don't know what they're doing. It's you know. I, I feel like the world's had enough Shrek, but I know so that, I, that ship can sail. <laughs> I know. I personally have. <laughs> there you go. So do you want to um, tell us a little bit about your, I mean, the, the latest phase of your career, which I was happy to hear you credited to a visit to South Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in all seriousness, you know, um, the, the latest phase of my career started with Chris Appelhans coming to me with a movie called Wish Dragon. And at the time I was working at Real Effects and I wanted to buy it. And I said... I said yes in the room because he pitched the idea and I'm like, yeah. And if you know anything about Chris, his, he's an artist and yeah. you know, the, the few pieces of art he brought told you exactly what the movie was going to be. And I've never actually had that experience before where you just saw it and you knew. And, um, wow. and he didn't sell it to me. He, he sold it to this company in China base effects. And I think that, you know, with the, their promise that they were going to make the movie. And, I don't know, nine months later... So he came to you after he'd been to them? Or? No, this was before. And okay. and after I left Real Effects, about nine months later, I got a call from Chris saying, hey, do you want to produce this movie? And I was like, sure. I, I, what does that mean? And at the time, you know, we were we were... You know, it was pretty bare bones, and we put a team together in LA, and for story and art, and um, and worked really hard for quite a long time, for about eight months to get the first screening up, and then turned it around pretty quickly. And the script was strong, but it was very, um, you know. Chris isn't Chinese, and although he ha have, has a lot of Chinese friends, and he wanted to make sure it was as authentic as possible. So with the help of, of Sophie Xiao, who worked at BASE, she helped us start figuring out how to you know localize it, uh, make it more authentic. And I just started to see that the power of making a film about present-day China, about a kid growing up in present-day China, never been done before in animation. And how people, the Chinese American crew, was feeling about it, and realizing how important representation was for people who, who really grew up never seeing themselves on screen, and that idea then just started to spread in my brain, and I ended up here uh, in South Africa and saw this light in the people I met, and this light in the industry, and this kind of this t teetering on the verge of like really amazing time and you know the the his the your political history and the the social issues here they create this tension that you know has a needs a creative outlet you know mm. and and i think that that is start i saw that sort of coming through in people and i also saw not just the hunger and desire, but the readiness to, to actually do the work to get where where people need to get. So How did you get from um, from China to thinking South Africa is also in this family? Of it, it, I would. It was a random 
I mean, I visited here because, for the film festival, uh, the, not the animation film festival, but oh. I was invited here to speak, and it was completely random. And um, and if that hadn't happened, I don't know if this if what I'm doing would have happened. So I so I went back and I and I sat down and I thought, okay, how do I make a living doing this, and how do I do more of it? Because you were freelancer at that time. Yeah, yeah. How do I do more of this? And I. I went and proposed um, to some of my studio friends that I do this as as my own division, and so right now we're in the process of figuring out you know how that's going to work, um, and but the support I've gotten has been incredible. So I've got now several films in development all over mm. the world, two here in South Africa, so exciting, um, one in Mexico. Uh, one that will be made in Korea, the Korean American director, um, uh, film in Colombia, um, and another couple films in China that 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 we want to do. And those countries that are part of that that group, um, was it key creatives that you'd met, or was it also a visit that made you just go? It was mostly. It was. It, it was. Each one is completely different. Right. Completely different story. Some came to me. You know, kind of fully packaged. Here's a script. And others were, I have an idea, and I and and I would go, that's a great idea. Let's go do it. You know, um, so it's it's been all over the map. I was interested to hear because I know you've been talking to Triggerfish. Anthony said that he'd sent you a slate of of projects and asked you like, what do you like? And you came back and said, no, no, what do you like? Um, and so, how important is that sort of key creative? And is it is it the is it the passion behind the project that you're looking for rather than something the project itself? It's a it's a combo, you know. I mean, there are a lot of people who are for some reason in in the industry because they think they can make money doing it, and that's just a terrible reason. Especially because, in features, <laughs> I know yeah. because it sucks and it's hard and it takes forever, and so unless. There, in, in, unless the passion's behind it, you don't, you don't, you know, you're not going to have them for the long haul. You know, they're not going to do the work that's necessary. They're not going to, they're not going to um, apply all of themselves to whatever the project is. Mm. So, you know, it's got to be unique and it's got to have some passion behind it. Yeah, so I think Guillermo del Toro has been known to say, if you're not willing to die for your film, you're making the wrong film. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't have the energy for the long haul, nobody else is going to have it for you. No, no, yeah. and your and your team won't won't have it either. Yeah, I find it really interesting that you picked up on this this moment in South Africa that needs creative expression because I think um, it's a very confusing moment politically and socially. We had apartheid, as you know, and there's um, some of our most iconic arts, like fine art, came out of that period. Right, and I think it's because it was it was kind of very clear. What was the right and what was the wrong, and it was kind of easy to express something about that. Then we had a transition period that was very hopeful, and it turns out that artistically hope is not that interesting by itself. Mm. You know, there's you need something pushing against it, and now we've got certainly got a lot pushing against. I mean, we've got very a, a really really um, complex mix of factors and complex mix of emotions. Exactly. Yeah, um, no, that's well said. Mm. Tension is is a necessary part of great creativity and and it's unfortunate but a, a lot of good stuff comes out of that you know yeah <laughs> and then it, I guess it also depends who's watching it <laughs> right what and they think of it and who's ready to watch it who's ready to look at some of the stuff 
add-on. And sometimes why you need to make it animation or speculative stuff is people aren't quite ready to look at it head-on, but they're ready to kind of look at it through a, a different filter and, and start to have these ideas kind of sink in. Yeah, it's, um, that reminds me of the point about talking animal films. I, I know they're not your favorite, but about how that they can provide that filter. Somehow it's, it's, it retains all of its poignancy, but without the being too close to the bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, absolutely. Because it's got this filter. Absolutely. Yeah. But I guess the other question um, is who's, who's making it and who, and who has a right to make that story? And that's another 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 area where I think sci-fi or animals or something that belongs to nobody is kind of useful because yeah. it's nobody's story to tell. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure you get tired of the question because it's all we tend to talk about lately. But are we are we allowed to tell a story from another race, from another nation? And I think that's the right cultural, cultural appropriation. It's bandied about a lot. <laughs> and you know, yeah. it, it, every side has a good point in those conversation people telling stories about cultures other than their own i mean look we've been doing that for centuries and and there's nothing inherently wrong with that but when it's when the people who could be telling them so those stories don't have the opportunity to tell them then there's something wrong with that so i mean i think if, if something genuinely comes from someone who's experienced what their story is about or has a, a direct personal connection to it, it's going to be better, usually, than anybody else's version, usually. Usually, yeah. Or you can have the one the one guy with the what-if idea and then bring on the other guy who has the yeah the detailed experience. And I think partnership is, is very valuable and not to be underrated. And I don't think people should let their egos get in the way. If they, if they know they need help telling a story, mm. get it, you know, just mm. get it. I've, Work with a writer, work with an artist, work with someone. Just you know, fill your team with the right kinds of people, and and the right skill set, and that that's an art form in and of itself. Oh yeah, <laughs> figuring that out, and and something that's just alchemy. Like I, I couldn't teach any teach that to anybody. A lot of that is also just being at the right place at the right time, isn't it? Yeah. But then I saw um, Malcolm Wolpe's talk about how he used social media. Whenever I ask um, people, hey, do you know any good artists? They're like, good on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh. But that's where people are. There are virtual animation platforms now that, yeah. you know, where people can work from home and work on a movie together, you know, and collaborate and do stuff like that. And that's going to start happening more and more. And going to make distance, distance can become less and less of an issue. Yeah, as we get finally better broadband in right. Africa, that will right. help. Yeah, right. I, I, I was quite um, heartened by David Prescott's point to say, like, stop making the excuse right. of of bad resources or bad technology. Because you had um, the young guy in Lagos who just did it. Just stop motion. The, the guy, the guy in Laos. Yeah, oh, no, I mean, sorry. just ridiculous, like ridiculous talent, and nothing stopped him. Yeah. And it's the same with the guys that in Myanmar. Same with the guys in Myanmar, and and you know this the, this kid from a studio in Myanmar who's who looked twelve, there but was studios a, in Myanmar? but was a doctor, a physician, okay. an MD, decided he would rather do animation, and just started a studio, and like and they do like really cool stuff. It's not like they're doing crap. They're like they're 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 digging into their own culture. And their own stories that nobody's heard, nobody's seen. What's it? What's it been like with China? 
And it's a really broad question. Um, yeah, it is broad <laughs> because China is, you know, the director I work with jokes, just multiply everything by 12. <laughs> and that's China. I mean, everything is just giant, like giant. And and it's it's been really challenging there. Not, I mean, not really for any China reasons. It just... It's really just been about getting enough. I mean, one of the issues I think we, we came up on, on Wish Dragon is people without feature experience getting really, really tired and not having the endurance huh. and not knowing that you'll come out the other side okay. And until you've done that, I can understand how that can, that, how that can happen and be pretty harrowing. I get the impression they work pretty hard. No, they work <laughs> yeah. incredibly hard and have an incredible work ethic. But, but features are, are uh, a marathon. And, and so do you mean like almost spiritually tired? Like they get tired of the tired. project? And, you know, the bar for this film is very high. Mm. And we're pushing really, really hard. And sometimes it, sometimes it breaks people. And they're just like, I, I can't do what you need me to do at the level you need me to do it for the length of time you need, I need to be doing it. But uh, other than that, it's been a pretty incredible experience. And, and I, I've seen, I mean, I feel like we're really help, helping kind of teach and train uh, a new generation of kind of, of incredible animators and lighters and effects artists and layout people. So your whole production team is there? Yeah, yeah, everything. And I mean, there's a there's a kind of perception that I've heard from various people that have worked with with the Chinese. I'd be delighted to explode it. Is um, if it's not true, but that um, the the teams they want to be told more specific directions, like more specific frame by frame instructions, and that that makes creative collaboration where you want to go like here's a shot, go wild. That that makes that difficult. Has that been your experience? I mean, I I think that there is a artistic freedom that is burgeoning there. You think they just weren't used to it and now it's I just a question I, of being told. I, I, they didn't have permission, you know, and and there's a lot of insecurity and, and fear and but but I'm telling you, like it's happening. And and people, you know, you know, there've always been amazing artists there, but they're they're I think it's spreading and people are being able to kind of express themselves more and, and you know, through art more deeply. And that mm-hmm. certainly happened in our film. I mean, I saw people really just like blossom and and it's it's been incredible. It would be great to start seeing some of those names become known internationally and more cross pollen. I get the feeling that they are reaching out more, like if you see them more at Annecy, there's yeah. always more Chinese co-production. For sure. There's a little bit more, ex- I don't know, I feel like there's more exchange. There, there's yeah. a lot more. And, and part of that is, Two happening because there are a lot of Chinese Americans who are going back to China and are going to China for the first time and wanting to work there and be there, be part of it. So there's been a kind of cross cross pollination that's I think helping a lot. Uh, was, yeah, and in in um, in South Africa, what's kind of been the flavor of the industry that you felt so far? No, nothing's no. There's no specific flavor really. It's kind of all over the map, which is great. That's how Enthusiastic, it be. probably. <laughs> yeah, that's how it should be. Yeah. And it's it's been really enthusiastic, and I'm I'm waiting to see what that brings, what kinds of stories that brings. Yeah, I love the one comment in the panel that um, one lady made where she said, "What can we do to to get um, 
South African films to stop marketing themselves as you saw Black Panther, so why don't you see this like guilt marketing? Yeah, I know that was that, that was, was really so funny. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah. I mean, marketing's just hard. Yeah. yeah, but it's also I think it speaks to a certain kind of cultural cringe about our own stuff that we put out, and part of it comes from how how diverse we are. That um, if we put something out, we kind of feel like oh, but my little corner of the world or my little experience. Is it going to it, speak to enough people? Right. It's, it's too weird or it's too lame or, yeah, I think we have to kind of, I think Australia very successfully kind of offered some films that, that broke any of that. Well, they had, they had a golden age of, yeah. you know, of, of cinema. It's true. It's and, been know, a while now. <laughs> and I'm waiting for it to happen again there because, you know, I mean, George Miller is my hero. You know, I mean, I just, I learned mm. more about directing about what directing means from watching Road Warrior than from any other movie. Wow. I mean, it's the most, it, it, it's visual storytelling 101 times a billion, you know. You just watch it and you go, oh, 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 that's yeah. that's what a close-up does. That's what happens when you move the camera at the right moment, you know. It's brilliant. I was quite interested to hear what you were saying about Crazy Rich Asians as well, because you'd mentioned that for you it was sort of maybe so-so as a viewing experience. But your Asian American friends had tears streaming down their faces at the idea of a, you know, this like two two guys talking about their relationships. Yeah, and it's something it's something similar with Black Panther actually. It's, it's definitely flawed, and in terms of what it's saying about Africa, I'm not sure I can get on board with it 100. percent But um, my black friends who saw it just it, it, that was it for them. They just thought it was amazing, and I think yeah, I think that that experience of being represented. Who am I to say that it's that there's anything that's not working about a film? No, you, it's so you, powerful for you, its. You can't know what it feels yeah. like. No. And and I can't either. And I I try and try to imagine. And you know, in some ways, I can. You know, as as you know, a gay Jew growing up, you know, and in, in L.A. and not being like you know, particularly beautiful or being you know whatever. It, it it's you know. You, I used to see movies with gay characters in them, and it was like, oh, there's the flaming queen, the serial killer, or the pathetic old lonely person. And those were my three examples wow. of what gay people were growing up. So, you know, I guess in that way, I can know what it feels like to, to never yeah. see yourself That's definitely on an, screen. an underrepresented group. Um, and, you know, by the way, I don't think it's been particularly represented, well represented yet anyway, but it, it's beyond our imagination how powerful that is. There was a book, Shrill, by Lindy West. Is that the one that they're making a the TV show? I don't know if there's a TV show. She's a, she wrote a book about basically being fat. That's the show that my, that, yeah, my friend Allie's doing it. Um, oh, really? it, yeah, and they're shooting in Portland. It's going to be on Hulu, which you, you guys don't get apparently. Only with a VPN. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but, um, she said something so similar. She said, like, my role models growing up are an old teapot. <laughs> right. A villain, basically, you know, like, it would be Ursula the Sea Witch or that kind of thing, or I can't remember the third, but some some lovable but harmless ma- right. matriarch. Exactly. And that's kind of what she had to to model. Yeah. And um, I think her life quest is about changing changing that. But that's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, Wonder Woman showed that just women in general really needed to see somebody powerful, you know, whose thighs jiggle. <laughs> that was a, that was a, another thing where yeah. where you know I was talking to some friends and. My friend said his wife just, like, she, she teared up during that movie. Wow. And 
And I thought I was like, oh, I'm a giant fan. But I, <laughs> I wasn't a big fan either. But I think I think it just shows how much work still needs to be done, and that whole Me Too movement has proved there's a lot of work that the, needs a, to be done. Absolutely, for a very large proportion of the p- population. Absolutely, and there's incredible power in it. Is there any? Is there anything between one project and the next that you would say is like the essence of what you look for? I just want it to be something I haven't seen before. You know, and I know that's hard, and that's needle and a. It is. It's needle and a side, and and if it's if it's something really unique, and it has someone behind it who actually has the capacity to make it through that movie as a creator, then that makes it a lot a lot more attractive. Um, sometimes you just get an idea come to you, and you have to put together all the, you know, all the filmmakers to kind of make that happen sometimes the ideas come with filmmakers attached to which is great um unless you don't like them and then then that's a whole nother story but it's it's needle and haystack do you think it's a key word if you say something you haven't seen before do you do you like stuff that is being put forward by that's already visually developed or that has a like a unique something to look at as opposed to something to read. It, either way, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm biased because I'm a writer, but I mean, I see I see how some of our artists can put things together and I'm just so jealous because it's immediate. You're like, wow, I, like you were saying about Witch Dragon, you're like, I get it. Like, I can all, already see it. And and that's the thing on that movie is Chris is a writer and an artist mm-hmm. and, and and having both just like, I, I, I had truly never seen that happen before. We had a series of like, 19 paintings that we used a lot as sort of touchstones even not as lighting keys necessarily but as sort of a suggestion you look at those 19 paintings and you know the movie and even that you know the soul of the movie like and that's just mind-blowing to me that might be a certain amount of your skill as a as a as a storyteller to to be able to extract the soul i don't know I, I think it was very clearly. Did he know what his? Did he already have like his emotional? Yeah, he knew what he he was. He was the most. He's one of the best directors I've ever worked with. Amazing! And it's, it's his, his first, first time. Dancing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, incredible. There's so many strings that have to be in your bow as an animation director. I think. You know, yeah. It's like micromanaging as well as big picture, and as you say, the um, the tenacity to get through such a very long and process. To, yeah, and not give up. You know, and not get overly frustrated. Did you see The Monkey King? No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I also haven't seen it. I don't see a lot of movies. Oh, really? No, <laughs> I really don't. You don't find that an impediment? Not really. I mean, I, look, I, that's uh, that's kind of unfair. I do see movies. I just, I rather read a book, mm. um, honestly, and let my mind kind of be free of preconceived too many preconceived notions okay. and is it a bit too much like going to work it is it's so, totally like going to work totally and reading scripts is like going to work yeah too. of course and I love reading so I you know I have to kind of force myself because obviously it's a big part of what I do but it is like going to work what do you think of the I mean I think something that's made movies feel a bit like work to screenwriters is that we keep seeing the same movie over and over again, which is this Blake Snyder kind of, yeah. um, you know, every every beat has to happen on the right page. And it seemed to be quite endemic for a while. And um, I just love seeing something different. Like, what do you think it's going to take to really sort of move away from that? Are we going to all get sick of it and realize it was one of many I think forms? People, I think that, you know, an, an artist or writer comes along and they, they shake it up. That's what always happens, you know. And they prove that it that you don't have to stick to this exact you know structure and tell the same story over and over again. 
and look, we were successful doing blah, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I, I really hate when we're, when we're in development is, so what are the act breaks? Where does, where does this act one end? Right. And where does act two? I'm like, I don't care. I, I just, I don't care. What's, what's the story that needs to be told? What needs to happen now? And you can figure out the act breaks later if you really feel that married to the idea of doing that. But, you know, I know I'm very, I never got trained to be a development person. I train myself. So again, I break the rules and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I'm not great at it. You know, I, I think I have a good eye. Um, I know I have a good ear for dialogue. I, I know that when something doesn't sound right or feel right in an edit, I, I feel like literally in my, like the middle of my viscera, I just, I, I don't know, you know, and I've learned to put language to that. So I'm not just grunting all the time. <laughs> and, um, and, and Jeff Gatsberg was a good teacher in that regard mm. too, because super clear about what wasn't working yeah. and why. And, um, and just to see that through his eyes sometimes was really, really helpful. Do you find ever that you get to, um, if you're so deep in an edit, that um, you kind of lost fresh eyes. Do you ever need to pull in somebody new to look at it, and or, or do you find your instinct remains strong throughout? No, we do that a lot. Yeah. I mean, you. Have, I mean, on four years on a, on a movie, you've got to bring people in. You've got to bring fresh eyes in, and not be afraid to do that. I I hate it. Like I just, for some reason, I still I'm like so loath to show the baby to anybody, you know, <laughs> until the baby's ready. But it's really, really important. Mm. Um, one of the things we did on Wish Dragon was we screened probably the roughest animatic I've ever seen in my life. We screened several times in China for family audiences. Wow. And that is brave. <laughs> very early. And because we needed to know, is this, is this offensive? Is mm -hmm. it gonna, is it, does it feel authentic? Does it feel right? We got amazing feedback. It was a really good experience. Nice. And um, and I, not all the feedback was good feedback, which is fine, but it was all helpful feedback. And um, and I, I think I think it's really important to do that. It's quite sometimes quite mm -hmm. hard to get, you know, lay people to understand that an animatic is not what it's going to look like. Am amazingly, <laughs> it they were like with the movie the whole time. Oh, well, that's and a this was good sign. A, this was rough and, and is a really good sign because Honestly, if it doesn't work in animatic, it's not going to work any better when it's pretty. Yep. It's <laughs> you can hide some stuff. Yeah, tiny. Music can help a bit. Tiny but, bit, yeah. tiny bit. Yeah, no, this is a trial by fire. And did you have um, Jackie Chan already as your scratch? No, I didn't. No, our scratch was, you know, and, and, and even the Mandarin translation was not good at that time. It was just, it, it wasn't that it wasn't good. It's that we've improved it a lot since. Um, so... It, you know, it was just rough on every level. Have you had to do different cuts for the Chinese audience and the American one? No, we have one, one version of the movie. Oh. So is Jackie, Jackie Chan doing the Jackie's Chinese the, and the No, Jackie's the dragon in Mandarin. He's the voice of the dragon in Mandarin. Oh, only in Mandarin? Yeah. Didn't do the yeah. English one. All right. Because I know he's done, he's done a few animated characters in English. He has. He has. But yeah. he, he preferred, he said, I want, this is what I want to do. And I'm like, Awesome. Cool. Let's do it. Will we will we see it here? You think? Yeah. We'll see well. <laughs> Brilliant. That's yeah, gonna be everywhere. It sounds really really exciting. Sony's really excited about the movies, and, yeah. and that that helps a lot. It sounds like one of those that's also set to 
change things up, which is really cool. I hope so. It's a weird. It's a, it's not a. It's not your normal animated movie. You know, it's not manic, jokey. It's That's, that'll be a relief. It's, extreme, <laughs> it's extremely heartfelt. What would you say is the what have been your touchstones? Like what what um, what movies had a similar sort of heart or something that you? Oh, to, for Wish Dragon. Dragon yeah. Oh, um, you know, Chris brings up Slumdog Millionaire a lot. Ah, um, interesting. And and it's definitely not as dark as that film, but it's got like it's got joy, it's got pain, it's got all that stuff in it, and it's it is really really funny. By the way, I'm not saying it's not. It's just not that like you know. Uh, one gag after the other yeah. kind of thing. It's not like things flying through the air all the time. Right, <laughs> right. It's um, it's good. That's all I can say. That's all I will say about. It. And just lastly, I'm sure you get you have been asked this question a million times already in the past few days. But what advice would you give to South African filmmakers <clears throat> that want to kind of break into the international market? Just make good stuff and keep at it, and partner with people if you need help. Don't you know? You have a small community and you need each other, so rely on each other and trust each other and don't let your ego get in the way. And that's it for this month, except to wish our Animation SA delegation in Annecy an amazing time and best of luck to our three projects in competition this year. Do visit the website to find out more about those. It's www.animationsa.org. I'm Julia Smatslow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>